Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Pagan. Hit that thumbs up for me right under the video if you're watching on YouTube and subscribe wherever you may be listening. Hope everybody had a good Labor Day weekend. Let's bring in Kevin Kincaid, who kind of, you kind of look like one of the Georginians that uh, attacked Furcon over the weekend. (laughs) Why? Because I'm white and I have facial hair. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah you, you got it. Yeah. You got it. Um, yeah. So if you didn't see it, and you might not have, because first of all, you're probably down the shore. You're probably enjoying your Labor Day weekend. But crazy people like myself who saw the the Eurobasket game, uh, Furkan Korkmaz and some follically challenged Georginian go noggin to noggin during the game. Yeah. Both are ejected. Furkan is walking back through the hallway. And three players who weren't playing, the follically challenged Georginian and Two security officials confront Ferk, and the fists start flying. How about that? Eurobasket. Uh, it just means more. Yeah. Now wait, hang on. I believe the proper uh, demonym is Georgian, right? Or weren't the Georginians like in the church or something like that? Or weren't they? That's like, yeah, Gr- yeah. that's Gregorian. Oh, the Gregorians. Okay, yeah. not the Georginians. Right. Get, all right. Get yeah. your monk right. And then there's um, the Jesuits too. I got to get them all straightened out here. Yeah. Yeah. So the George. So right now, Eurobasket is going on in Georgia, uh, in Tbilisi. I want to say is the uh, capital. Of yeah. Tbilisi. Yeah. Tbilisi. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with that. That's good um, geography out of you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look at these dudes who attacked Furcon. We got Duda Sidnazi. Yeah. We've got Tornike Shingelia. He's in the middle. And then we have Goga Batadze. They run six five, six nine, seven foot. They all look like extras that Liam Neeson killed and taken. That one guy in the middle, I think, served me halal while I was at Comcast. Um, this is just not a fair fight. I mean, Furkan is, is is punching up right now. Um, yeah, right. So this is Eurobasket. They were playing uh, Georgia in Georgia. So you got the you know you're in a hostile environment, right? And uh, Furkan came out afterwards and he said, uh, "This they were talking shit." Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let anybody talk shit. <laughs> what was that quote? Uh, he said, they're not going to talk shit on my face. They're not going to talk shit uh, on my face. And that was a very thing. loose representation. You, of, I know uh, you got to have like, that's got to be like, here, here's just some inside baseball. Like when somebody doesn't speak English as a first language and they're, they're giving you a quote, right? Normally you just like, I'll do an autocorrect for them. So like you wouldn't say shit on, you'd say talk shit to my face, not on my mm-hmm. face. Right. So like you, you as a journalist should, change it to that right because you know what he was trying to say mm-hmm. but we didn't get that in the post that we got that we quoted verbatim was yeah you don't talk shit on my face so yeah that's well, he's got that dog in him you know so that's that's the thing yeah. we had pj tucker we signed him the sixers admitted that they didn't have enough dog in them yeah. last season are you expecting a dog-like season from Furkan coming off the bench because, listen, like his spot in the lineup right now is kind of up in the air. His Sixers yeah. career is kind of up in the air. I think he's making $5 million next year would, would yeah. put him, I think he's like top five, top six on the team. He's Yeah, is, he's like right, yeah, even last year, like right after the main guys, right? I think Because you think he signed three years, 15 million, I want to say it was a contract yeah. with Furk. Yeah, he's got a lot. There's a lot going on here, but you know, little did the Sixers know that they had a dog out there the entire time. They just didn't know that it was Furcon, you know. So, uh, you know, maybe this is the catalyst for a breakout 
uh, season for Furkan Korkmaz. He's kind of like the Nick Pavetta of the Sixers, right? You keep saying, like, this is the year, man. This is the year he's going to take the next step. But he's kind of – he kind of is what he is at this point, right? A sixth or seventh guy. But on that Turkish team, man, I mean, he's like one of the, the main guys, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they do have Shane Larkin playing for Turkey, by the way. He has been naturalized as a Turkish citizen as we uh, look at the quote here, right? Yeah, the, 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 the FIBA basketball has kind of gone the way of the transfer portal in college in college basketball or college yeah. football excuse me like there's just one guy i was looking at the georginian lineup he is american born and somehow he's on the he's on the georginian team because yeah. he i guess yeah. he played overseas for uh a couple years and whatnot so he got his that. yeah it's kind of yeah. like soccer how like some of these guys end up being you know you've got like brazilian guys who play for ukraine just because they went over and they've been playing for that team for five or six years or whatever so they get a they get citizenship and then they're they're eligible to play. Yeah, that's why Furkan Korkmaz and Shane Larkin are playing on the same Euro basket team. You know. Yeah. Uh, also, another thing: there wasn't only just fighting in the hallway. Yeah. There was also cheating going on right under everybody's nose. If we can pull up the video here, twenty-two seconds mysteriously go off this clock while Georgia, who's at home right now, they're playing the Euro basket in Tbilisi. Twenty-two seconds goes off the clock as the Furkan and. Uh, Duda Sanadzi fight uh, is happening. We could pull that video up when you get a chance. Yeah. Uh, okay. Look at go. this. Look at this home cooking by the co- the operator right there. Fight starts. Clock is just still going. Yeah, there's some uh, shady stuff going on here now. Don't quote me on this, but uh, geographically speaking, you've got Turkey, uh, and then to the east of Turkey, I think you get uh, Armenia. I know that the Turks and the Armenians do not like each other very much. They've got a history, a uh, political, social uh, history, bad blood thing going on. there. I don't know if Georgia, I think Georgia and Turkey are cool. I I do not know. But, you know, this is, you know, it's interesting that like, you know, he said that in the hallway, like security guards went after him too. Or what did he say? Like three. So there was players. So three security. And then there was about 30 police that kept pushing them. And he was supposedly attacked in the hallway. There was rumors that he was attacked in the uh, the locker room. Yeah, okay. There were rumors that it was thirty police officers attacking them. The mm. Georgia police didn't do anything. The Georgia security officials didn't do anything. But that's I. I but I guess you know when people shoot flares over the uh, court. You know, this is what you have to kind of expect, right? Yeah, I was looking behind at my bookshelf here because I actually I didn't mean to like weird anybody out there. I was actually looking for this book because this guy, uh, Kevin Owens, who's who went to uh, uh, Camden, I, I think or he's a South Jersey guy. But I, I actually read his book because he had like a uh, a stint in the, the D League back in the day. And then he ended up playing in Europe. I think he played in like uh, Kosovo. And maybe like Greece or Japan or something like that. But he tells these crazy stories in his book of just like what Europe, European and foreign basketball was, you know, of like guys in uh, uh, I think Pristina is the capital of, of Kosovo. Uh, and but he was playing there or whatever. He says like fans were like throwing like glass, pieces of glass at him. And, uh, you know, the police had to like get get him out, like put shields over top of him so they could all run out, you know, underneath uh, like cover or whatever. But, yeah, it's crazy, man. They get they get into it like like crazy over there you know yeah, um, and that's what i want i want my 90s like boxing where everything is kind of rigged um there's some cheating going on <laughs> people are getting their their face bashed in um what i don't want is i don't know if i want jason peter signing with the cowboys yeah i don't yeah. 
So I don't have a problem with a 40-year-old Jason Peters signing with the Cowboys because I think it's good for the six uh, for the Eagles in a way. Uh, he gave us, you know, four-time pro, uh, four-time All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion. Yeah. Gave his his ACLs for us, gave his legs for us, gave his back for us, everything. You know, spent a lot of time in the medical tent at the end of the year, at the yeah. end of his time here yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> but the thing I hate about is yeah. he calls the Cowboys an arrogant organization yeah. back in 2018, and then he drops a quote yesterday, and it was just like Jerry Jones. It was me and him, love at first sight. It was kind of like uh, Costanza, guys. yeah, kind of yeah. like Costanza um, quitting on Friday, and then coming in on Monday, and be like, "Yeah, what do you you think I meant that? You yeah. think I meant that? Like, well, translation was here. Here's uh, here's one and a half to two million dollars, and uh, we come play backup uh, left tackle for us. I think I'm supposed to be mad about this. You know, I don't but know. I'm not, I'm not really. I don't know. Maybe just because Jason Peters hasn't really has just been on the periphery and kind of like on the outs for the last you know, three or four years, you know, I mean, I don't even think people were in love with Eagles fans weren't even in love with him, you know, in his last year or two with the Eagles, you know? So I, you know, if this was a different time and he left to go join them in free agency when he was 35 years old or 32 years old or something like that, maybe we'd feel different about it. But and beyond that too, I think like the Cowboys thing has just died down a little bit. You know, it used to be every time the Cowboys game would come around, it was the biggest thing ever. I don't, I don't think like younger kids necessarily care about the Eagles Cowboys rival rivalry. Why do I always have trouble with that word? Rivalry. The way that we used to, because the Cowboys were good. Yeah, yeah more of a. I, I hate the Giants more than I hate the Cowboys. Is that a hot take or is that okay? No, no. I think a lot of people who were like age twenty to thirty probably look at it. Probably look at that the same because you know, like Eli won those two Super Bowls, you know, in three years or four years or whatever that was, and the Cowboys had been mostly dog shit for a long time. So I don't think a certain generation looks at them, you know, the same way that other people do. Uh, so maybe that has something to do with people seeming to have like kind of a muted reaction to the Jason Peters thing. What do you think about it? You got Stallback, you got Aikman, you got uh, Jimmy Johnson, uh, you got the other coach, yeah. Tom Landry, all yeah. during our father's and our grandfather's years. I had Quincy Carter, Drew Henson, Tony <laughs> Romo. Yeah. Uh, Des Bryant. Like, who do you, who is there to yeah. hate? You know, uh, Danucci yeah. for a game. Ben um, Danucci. Yeah. yeah. Ben Danucci. I have Dak Not Prescott, Mark who's Mark probably, Danucci. Dak Prescott is probably the best quarterback they've had in my lifetime. It yeah. was, it yeah. was, it was uh, Romo dropping the, uh, dropping the extra point attempt or the field goal attempt to lose yeah. it yeah. in the yeah, playoffs. Yeah. It was Quincy Carter coming in and just getting ransacked every single time. Uh, it was them losing like 40 to three or I forget what it was uh, the last game of the year. Like, yeah. yeah, the Cowboys, we just don't have like they have us. And I guess they have us in the playoffs a couple of times, but those teams were never like the strongest teams ever that were like going to the Super Bowl and the Cowboys upset us. I mean, really, the only thing the Cowboys I feel like have over us is the Donovan coming out of the tunnel doing the guitar. Oh man, yeah, him and like uh, Dahani Jones or whatever, wasn't it? And yeah. uh, with Deshaun Jackson, the other one. I think it's funny too because you get to uh, you have kind of two schools of thought on this, right? I think there's a lot to be said for for going out on top, you know, and leaving it to a point where people can't remember you f- for anything other than being a stud. You know, so if Jason Peters had retired after the, you know, the 2016 season or 2017 season, even though he didn't play in the Super Bowl, I think people he would have solidified his like legend status, you know. You don't give give anybody a chance. It's like when a uh, band drops like four perfect albums and they're like, "We're done." You know, they don't leave they don't leave you an opportunity to drop a shit album because it's like, well, now mm-hmm. you can't remember us for anything other than being good. But you go on the other side, you get far enough past that, and you look at a guy who's forty years old and he's still playing in the NFL. And like you got to give him credit for that. And, and like, hey, this guy. Okay, obviously this guy just loves the sport, just loves playing football. That- I can, I can. You get, you get like over this hump of like, hey, you're washed. Like, let's try to 
you know, um, you know, wrap it up here to the point of like, hey, this guy's like a lifer, man. And he's, you know, I, I guess you begrudgingly give somebody credit for that, whether you think it's the right the right choice or not. So that's what I was kind of thinking. Like the first I'll be honest with you, the first thought that went to my mind was, is Jason Peters broke? Because the guy made one hundred and seventeen million dollars. He's playing mm-hmm. one of the most grueling positions at, at left tackle. Um He's 40 years old. It can't be. I mean, you're what, 36, 37? You getting out of bed, you probably hurts in the morning. I mean, 40 years old after playing 18 years yeah, yeah. In, in the NFL has yeah. to be absolutely insane. Like, no, I can't imagine. Why would you keep coming back and going to meetings and, and going through practice and going through all this? And then he had that quote, too. I think it was uh, Sirius XM where he's just like, I'd love to kind of just pass on the torch to the young guys, teach them some things or 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 line up with these veterans going to the playoffs and they know how I rock. So let's go. Though maybe he's maybe he's coming from the school too of like my, what I was arguing with my uh, my pickleball column, which got lambasted. Um, yeah, you only do it once, right? I mean, you're only you know thirty to forty once, right? I mean, he's got the rest of his life to sit around and do nothing. You know, you, your NFL career is short, man. I mean, like he, his career has been long by NFL standards, but I mean, like he he's got the next 30, 40 years to just sit on his ass and do nothing or just coach or whatever. So you might, might as well, man. I can't, I can't begrudge him for that i mean it's like if you want to play you want to play you know and then uh you know maybe 10 years from now you can do swimming and golf and pickleball yeah you think big old jason peters getting in the, getting in the deep end <laughs> i don't know i don't even know if he's got enough <laughs> lateral movement for that for that right now but uh, uh Bump, bumpy jones had a good comment and i don't know what it means but i know you will so i'll put you you throw that in there yeah. uh, peters to the cowboys equals priest judas priest i'm guessing releasing ram it down can you explain to the people at home what this means um, I guess he's saying that he didn't like that album. <clears throat> it wasn't like a amazing album when it came out. It wasn't received as well. I think like so. What he's saying is like Judas Priest had like their their uh, prime from like 1979 to like 1985 or something. Then they released two albums that were like okay. okay. Um, so I guess he's saying right. This is like the era of like kind of on the downside, you know. Cool. But, uh, cool. but for Bumpy Jonas, if he comes back with Painkiller uh, next year, which was the album they did after which was like amazing that uh maybe he's got one final uh you know curtain call or swan song so if jason peters has a really good season this year he can just (laughs) retire it's actually a pretty good comparison yeah it's very niche very niche (laughs) very niche yeah are you a niche or niche guy by the way i'm I'm a niche guy yeah my wife says niche and drives me crazy i like it now niche is just more it's it's like royalty when you say that um seth joiner another one uh had a had a quote um before we even read it, it, it sounded a lot worse, I would say, on paper, written out, than it did when he delivered it. Mm-hmm. But uh, he went on, he went on a sports take with uh, with Barnett uh, or Bear Brooks, uh, Derek Gunn, yeah. Rob Ellis, uh, looking like a human Pez dispenser. Uh, and he he had this quote about Jordan Davis saying. He's in the city of cheesesteaks and tasty cakes. He played last year at 355 in the national championship game. He got down to 340 and went to the com- combine and just tore it up, ran a 478, which really excited everybody. It'd be real easy for the Eagles to be like, well, he's our number one draft pick, and we're not really going to stress him so much about his weight. If I was the D-line coach, which there's a lot of four for four, five for five guys that are like pumping their fists in the air when they heard that. They always want uh, Seth to be the uh, D-line coach. If I had to say on it, I'd get his big ass down to about 320. I'd buy him a jump rope. He's got a lot of baby in him. Man, when you look at him, he's a young dude and he's a mama's boy. I'm pretty sure he likes sweet potato pies and all that kind of stuff. I thought the quote got fair until the whole mama's boy comment. Then it was like, yeah. can you just let the guy play a game first before we really say like, hey, you got to get down to 320 or you got to go up to 345 or yeah. Like, 
you, well, you the connotation, to... I'm sorry, the connotation yeah. when you say that somebody's a mama's boy, like you're saying that they're a pussy. I'm thinking of J. Joel with his mom holding yeah. the umbrella over him. Right. So I know that he was saying it in a way of like, you know, um, home cooking and, you know, being around the house and eating. <laughs> it can be he talked about, you know, pie or whatever. Right. So I, I get how he was trying to say it. But like when you talk that way, it um, it just sounds uh, patronizing. You know, it sounds condescending. And like I, I, I don't know a lot. There's a lot of you know, old school types who appreciate Seth Joyner for being blunt and telling it how it is. And, you know, speaking from experience as a great football player. And I think that that means a lot and it goes a certain way, but he just seems like kind of cranky and crotchety. And like, he, he reminds me a little bit these days now of like a, one of those NBA players who does the like, you know, these guys could not hack it in my day, mm-hmm. you know, where now it sounds like you're a bit bitter and just like kind of, you know, negative, negative all the time. And it's like, first of all, I mean, like Jordan Davis hasn't played a single regular season snap. How are you going to talk about his weight being an issue when you haven't even seen anything yet? You know, are you going off a couple of preseason games? You well, know, he looks good. We yeah, we don't. And we don't even know really how they want to use him. Right. I mean, maybe they want him to be a 340 pound double a gap space eating nose tackle. Right. So are you going to bring him down to 320 if that's what they really want him to play as? You know, what did like Haloti not apply play as when he was with the Ravens, right? So he can't say any of this without knowing how they want to use him or how he's going to even perform. Maybe he can get to the quarterback at 340 as it is. You know, they've been lining him up all over the place. So beyond just the the tone and like the patronizing and like condescending, like, you know, kind of aspect of it, it just seems like myopic because we haven't seen the, the damn dude take the field in a regular season game. You know what I mean? No, and you're exactly right. Like, and going back to your point about how they want to use them, I mean, you have Hassan Reddick and you got Josh Sweat, Derek Barnett, BG off the edge. Then you have Fletcher yeah. Cox and you have Javon yeah. Hargrave, who was getting to the quarterback at ease in the beginning of the year last year. Maybe yeah. he is going to be the run stopper. Maybe they are going to have to double team him because he's a huge, gigantic yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so, and to yeah. Seth's, yeah, and to Seth's credit, too, like he was framing it in a way of saying, like, hey, if he wants to be the best or if you want to reach your next level or whatever, mm-hmm. if you want to. <clears throat> excuse me, like, you know, be the guy, like, this is what you're going to need to do. I think like, let's hold up a sec here. Like, you know, we don't <laughs> get the guy a game first before we talk about him taking the next step. Let's let him take the first step before we talk about him taking the next step. I mean, I appreciate Seth Joyner in the pursuit of greatness here. You know, I think he and I would actually agree on a lot of stuff, but like, let's just slow. Hang on, man. Let's just like, slow it down right now. Just let the guy get on the field and see what he does at his current weight before we talk about getting him a jump rope and calling him a fat ass. Or saying that he's got a fat ass, like talking about him being like a pie eating mama's boy. Like, let's just change the uh, change the rhetoric here, you know. Yeah. And before we That's get over- taking another L, I'm sorry by the way because he yeah. can't. He got duped by a uh, fake Time magazine thing a couple <laughs> I weeks. Forgot ago. About he's, that. He's, he's not on a good uh, run of form right now, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. NBC yeah. Sports Philly Seth never got duped on a on a QN on conspiracy. Like, help me sport. help you, man. I will be fair to you, but like let's 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 you know try to. You're over two in the last in the last dumb, month. Dumb things we're gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we get over to Jeff Blumenthal from Philadelphia Business Journal, um, Howie Rosen wants to redo on the Jalen Rager pick. Breaking news. Yeah, well, I think but all you know the good. Does. The good part of that quote too, the interesting thing was like they admitted that they were t- they were drafted for a position instead of mm-hmm. um, just taking the best player. Because you know you remember it wasn't that long ago the big talk about you know Justin Jefferson was about him being a slot guy. So how he said quote uh, we don't have to worry so much about or I'm sorry I think the message there is we just have to take the best players all the time. We don't have to worry so much about fit or what we have on the team. 
you go back to that moment, we had two tight ends who were really good in the middle of the field. Greg Ward was coming off a really good year in the slot. Uh, we're looking for a specific role as opposed to just grading the players. And, and that's that's the story in a nutshell, you know, because remember, Joe Burrow was thrown to Justin Jefferson at LSU. He had talent all around him. He was a slot guy. And there were questions about, like, hey, is he a slot guy in the NFL? Or is he going to be able to play the Z, play the X, you know, do do outside, line up, you know, outside? And obviously with the benefit of hindsight, yes, he can do all that. So lesson learned there was just, hey, grab the best guy from the best conference and, you know, instead of trying to, trying to do specific puzzle pieces and make it work. And you've seen that kind of happen with the SEC guys that he's been drafting, Jordan Davis, Devontae yeah, Smith. Yeah, Dakota that was Dean. the thing that corrected that. Yeah, that was exactly it. Because after that, then he went back around. He's like, yo, let's just grab Georgia guys and Bama guys. and <laughs> Let's just build yeah. around them. Yeah, let's yeah, yeah. It. Exactly. Uh, yeah, enough of these big 12 wide receivers and Pac-12 wide receivers. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. Well, we want to bring on Jeff Blumensaw, writer at Philadelphia Business Journal. You know what the Philadelphia Business Journal is. It's it's the it's the website with the most interesting articles that you want to read, and then the paywall pops up, and you're like, "How do I get around this? How do I go to my incognito window?" You know what? You just got to pay for it. it. Has the strongest paywall, I want to say, in Philadelphia right now. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> What's up, Jeff? What's going on, man? How you been? I'm doing all right. You know, it's funny. I was listening to you guys talk about. Jason Peters and the Cowboys and I I'm I'm so old that Kevin would be okay with me playing pickleball. That's how old I am. <laughs> um, and um, so I go back to when there was a real rivalry. Mm-hmm. The player the the best player on the team when I was a kid was Harold Carmichael. And at the end of his career, he played like 12 years with the Eagles. He had a consecutive game streak where he when catching passes, it was ended by a cowboy player in a dirty hit yeah um and so he played 12 years with the eagles they get to the super bowl in 1980 last year with the eagles 1983 then he signs with the cowboys and he played two games with the cowboys and then retired because like i can't wear this uniform i just can't do it (laughs) yeah yeah. it's kind of an untold story there yeah i don't know how many people i didn't know that yeah really think about it so one of the writers maybe we'll do it is go back and look at uh not all, just all guys who played for both the Cowboys and the Eagles, but like big names, like meaningful names, you know, because there actually are some interesting, some interesting ones there, you know, and vice versa, you know, Cowboys guys playing for the Eagles. Corey Clement, huge one. <laughs> well, Super Bowl hero. Well, yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think who else have played for both, but I can't off the top of my head right now. But uh, but Jeff, we brought you on. We want to talk about sports media landscape right now. In Philadelphia, it's really interesting right now. You have the Odyssey stuff, you have the Inquirer stuff, you have the uh, NBC Sports. Obviously, uh, what I want to talk about first is NBC Sports Washington was bought by the Capitals and Wizards owner Ted Leonsis. Um, is this kind of what we're going to see as the future of NBC Sports in terms of like, is Joe LaCobb out in Oakland going to buy NBC Sports Bay Area, or you know, is uh, is uh, John Middleton going to buy NBC Sports Philly? What do you think? Kind of is. Is this ushering in a new era, or what? What do you really think about the whole uh, purchasing of the RSNs? Well, Comcast. Um, I think if you take the lens back a little bit, look at it in a broader sense. Comcast. Last week, they just announced they want to cut a billion dollars from their uh, in costs from their TV networks. Um, so um, they really want to focus on Peacock. They kind of got a late start compared to you know like uh, Paramount Plus has CBS, Disney Plus, ABC. So NBC kind of got like a NBCU kind of got like a slow start there. They're really trying to build that up, and it's not you know a, a big money maker for them yet. And the other thing they're focused on is their theme parks because after 
the sort of post-pandemic era, that's really picked up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to cut from the TV networks without impacting, um, you know, the quality. But they're talking about, I don't know if you saw, maybe cutting an hour off of primetime TV. That was one mm-hmm. thing we talked about. They what would that mean, cutting an hour? What would that mean, cutting an hour off of primetime? So, so instead of 8 to 11 o'clock is the normal primetime. So they would go like 8 to 10, and then they'll give that hour back. From 10 to 11 to the local affiliate so it's the nbc 10 here where, oh. so you might get an extra hour of news okay uh, or whatever else maybe who knows so jim garner wouldn't have been on my at my wouldn't have been on my tv at 11 o'clock he would have instead been on my tv at 10 o'clock then i guess kimmel moves up and, and now that and that stuff. Well, this, is on, this is on nbc, be oh, NBC yeah sorry uh no i think they would keep fallon on 11 30 but they would just give that hour back to um to uh the, the, the so maybe you get an hour and a half of news at night yeah yeah jeff it was um i, I think you wrote about this too because the thing with leonsis buying nbc sports washington his company monumental already owned like a 33 percent stake in it right and so i think the sticking point here because i think you wrote in your story as well that philly wasn't in any current like position to be sold like this like this was a one-off thing and i think if you can just speak to the idea that like the all of these regionals have their own different kind of contracts with the teams and all the situations are different that philly is not washington is not bay area etc yeah there's all sorts of things going on there because the phillies own 25 percent uh, when they signed their deal it was 2014 25-year broadcast rights agreement they own a quarter of nbc sports philadelphia mm-hmm. they also get a cut in avenue advertising revenue um, and then you have obviously the Flyers have the same owner as NBC Sports Philadelphia, Comcast. Yeah. So that leaves sort of the Sixers, um, who also, uh, uh, you know, I think the, I think NBC Sports Philadelphia t- does a pretty good job covering the Sixers in terms of they have that extra show after the post game show. They've done a lot. To, they haven't shortchanged the Sixers because they don't have an ownership stake. Um, yeah. But, um, I think. Um, Josh Harris, certainly, um, he made a bid for the Mets. He lost out to Steve Cohen. Um, and with, if he bought the Mets, he would have gotten their their TV network. Um, so it's possible, you know, that, one of, that um, one of these owners could have an interest in or maybe a combination uh, of doing that um, on um, – you know, it's that article last year in the Wall Street Journal that they, they could just put it on um, Peacock. Yeah. Um, and just say, we're going to have all, have it all on Peacock. There are a couple things they could do. do yeah. You, do you think we'll see, I think we're seeing right now, owners want to own the bricks. So when they when they, when they they own new stadiums, or when they build new stadiums, excuse me, the Sixers obviously with the Center City plan, they want to own the bricks. I think, uh, uh, I think Jerry World is owned by Jerry. Like we're just seeing that more and more that owners are now paying for their own stadiums or most of their own stadiums by themselves. Um, could you see that shifting in terms of like streaming wise? Like, could you, you mentioned the Sixers? Could the Sixers set up uh, Sixers Sports Streaming Network, which is I think would be interesting. But it's also then you kind of get it, and I love Spuds. We've had Spuds on before, but then you kind of get it like every now these guys would be owned by the team. So it's like, are they really being fair in their bias? I'll go to the first question. Sorry, um, if they will, uh, if, if you think they could set up a digital streaming network, I, I think could. But what else would you have on it, Kyle? I mean, like aside from let's, I mean, 
you probably would want to have, you know, the Sixers, Flyers, and and um, the Phillies uh, all together as a bundle. You know, the, the the one thing that's really interesting is that the teams themselves have built up their own internal like media. Uh, you know, that it's not just Dave Spadaro, but you know, they're producing. The Eagles just produced a, a movie, and Jeffrey Laurie is a movie producer. That's his background. Yeah. Um, they're all creating their own content, um, not just on social media, but like, um, you know, the Phillies have their, obviously their, whenever there's a rain delay, you see the Phillies uh, yeah. 1993 highlights or 1980 highlights or whatever, but they, they do have their own media um, entities that they've really built up. Largely it's a way to bypass the local media um, in some ways uh, to get information out, but yeah. We could bundle all that stuff, I think, and it could be some interesting content. You know, um, they, they could produce their own content. Um, mm-hmm. The Eagles, and if you have the Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, Sixers, all combined in one like local network, I, it'd be tough to get it with with one team. I don't know. I mean, they could they could afford it. Josh Harris could afford it. The other thing that's really interesting is right now um, with Comcast and Peacock. You guys have seen Netflix is slowing down their growth. All the streaming services are starting to slow their, their growth. There's concern about a recession coming. So starting a streaming network would be kind of, kind of might be kind of tough. Kind of tough. So you think if you had to guess, are we watching games on Peacock in five years? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. Or, yeah. or another, if, if they still have, they still own it. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, have you seen, uh, let me jump in here real quick. Yeah. I, th- there's, like the NBC regionals are not the only regionals that are going through some kind of restructuring or, or, you know, they're looking at them a certain way. Like Bally, um, you know, had a lot that was going on over there. There's been purchases and sales and kind of the same questions being asked, you know, with other groups as well. Have you seen anything from what's happened elsewhere that, you know, suggests any kind of pattern uh, with, with, with NBC or what might happen here? I follow Philadelphia ones closer than I do the national ones, the other ones around the country, but, uh, I think you're right um, that there, there, it's a really what's going on right now. It's a nationwide nationwide thing with media um, trying to cut costs. Uh, I mentioned Comcast trying to cut a billion dollars. Well, uh, Disney trying to cut three billion or something like that. Um, uh, Time Warner slash uh, Discovery three billion they want to cut. And they have you know CNN and um, TNT. Um, so they're 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 all trying to to cut back and focus on streaming now, but the streaming's become a lot more competitive. Um, yeah, yeah, we're we're right there, man. I mean, it's like I've you guys probably see me bitching about like Peacock and whatever on Twitter, you know, like because I'm a yeah, I like Peacock. I don't know why you don't like Peacock. No, it's not. Even, it's, you know what it is for me. It's like because I've got like a million channels on FiOS, and like I'm looking for this Premier League game, and they've got like you know rowing and something else on. It's like so I still have to buy the a la carte streaming service in order to get what what I want. You know, so it's to me, Jeff. It's like we're in this kind of limbo of like. Some people have cut the cord. Not everybody's there quite yet. They're thinking about it. But, you know, there's still offerings on both sides that like it's like you you, you can't really take the plunge. You want to take the plunge. But for me, it's like I got one one foot in the streaming door and one foot out of the streaming door, if that makes any sense. You know? I, I want to add on to that, too. I am recently off the cable onto the streaming 
I'm I'm two minutes behind everything. So like I'm watching the yeah. Phils. Reese Hoskins, it's a home run. It's already in my group chat before I even seen the play. So they got to figure that out on the NBC Sports app yeah. too to make sure that I'm watching it live as people on cable are watching it live as well. Yeah. Um, Jeff, let me ask about um, the Odyssey stuff because I know you do some reporting on them and on WIP as well. Um, obviously, they came out, the company came out last week or the week before and they um, denied this you know rumor that they were filing for bankruptcy or something. We know they went through a recent round of layoffs a couple of weeks ago. They gutted that Milwaukee station entirely. Uh, that's now doing national programming. In addition, the stock price has been under a dollar for a while, probably since like the early part of the summer. And they got a warning um, from the New York Stock Exchange that says, hey, you have to get it back above a dollar and you have to be in compliance. I'm just curious, like, what's your first like reaction when you think of all that stuff? Well, let's go back and look at you know, uh, Odyssey used to be Intercom. Uh, just a little history here. Um, their company was based in Balakinwood, and they started by the, the CEO, David Field, was started by his dad in, in the late 60s. They were like the fourth or fifth largest radio company, radio station owner in the country. And in 2017, they bought CBS. And it's kind of funny because they never had Philadelphia radio stations before no. that Philadelphia head headquarter, but they didn't have yeah. any. Yeah. yeah. So that helped them really. They moved from like fourth or fifth to second, just behind iHeart. Um, and um, when they did that deal, it was all about scale. And the stock price when they announced that they were going to do the deal was thirteen dollars a share, and then it was almost eleven when the deal closed in November of two thousand seventeen. And you were talking about, Kevin, it was August 1st when they got a notice from the New York Stock Exchange. Mm -hmm. um, the stock was trading at 71 cents a share. And I just looked this morning, it's about 50 cents a share. So it's gone down since they got that notice. Uh, pretty significantly, you know, 71 cents to 50. That's a, when you do percentages there, I'm not good at math. That's, yeah. you know. yeah. um, so um, what happened was, I guess, they really spent a lot of money in um, changing the company a little bit. They wanted to make some investments in technology, advertising technology, podcasting. They wanted to become a broader, not just a radio, terrestrial radio, but they wanted to expand into, I don't know if they'll be like Audible and get into that kind of thing too one day, but they want to have a broader platform. Um, and that makes sense, you know, because it's just the way things are going. We were just talking about going to streaming well, you know, with with uh, NBC and everything, Comcast, well, it's the same thing. Um, and they um, sort of want to morph into a broader company. And I know, Kevin, you weren't a big fan of the the, the rebranding of the name, mm -hmm. but that's probably the genesis behind it was, yeah. go, you know, to audio, audio. Well, and you're saying, too, like, uh, just for some context, you're like, they had the radio.com. Uh, domain as well and actually other Kyle was hated that because he's like wow this is like the most this domain makes the most sense out of anything it's radio radio.com you know but they didn't they didn't want to be known we're not just doing radio anymore right we're doing podcasts and we have this and we have that so right you they expand into this this whole big thing right and just so we're, for full disclosure I think everybody knows my wife used to work for intercom slash odyssey so she was there for the whole transition or whatever but yeah they moved into the new place in uh, 2400 market Mm -hmm. uh, I've been in there. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, probably a lot of money to put all that together as well. And I just, I, I don't know, I guess I don't really know what the question is. I mean, I guess like what, what 
you know, what is, what did the next like three to six months look like for them? And, and within that question, I would ask you, what does this stock exchange warning mean? Like what, what do you have to do to kind of get back into compliance? Well, um, what they have to do to get back in compliance is uh, they have six months. It's called a cure period. Mm-hmm. And they have six months to get back in to uh, compliance, which means they have to, the stock has to be over a dollar for 30 days straight. Um, and they can ask for an extension. Um, they can file a plan and say, this is what we're going to do. I think the, I think the stock exchange is interested in knowing what they're going to do, how they're going to get mm-hmm. do this. Um, and that's where I think the bankruptcy thing came into play. I know other radio companies have filed for bankruptcy when they were faced with their difficult yeah. times. This is a different situation, I guess, but not everyone's the same scenario. But uh, like iHeart filed for bankruptcy and they've come out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They liquidating. They would just be reorganizing. Now, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to do that. I have no idea whether they're going to do that or not. They, they've denied it. So, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and one thing that I think has really hurt them is um, it's, it's sort of like what the, what the plan is, is, okay, they're spending all this money on, they bought podcasting companies, advertising technology, um, talent. They brought in a guy named Mike D, D-E-E, who is the former CEO of the San Diego Padres, and he runs their sports. Um, so he's, you know, if you're cutting a deal with the Eagles, or for broadcast rights or whatever, or if, uh, you know, just all over the country um, um, because they have, you know, WFAN, they have WEI in Boston, they have all these stations. Um, so they have, um, and he's probably doing with sponsors too. They've they spent a lot of money. Um, and the second quarter was really bad. They had a bad uh, it's advertising for their, their biggest advertising category is auto car dealers. So, that was down 40%. So this whole thing is, I think we can blame John Ashar, the car czar, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gary Barbera. Yeah, Gary Barbera. Uh, yeah. yeah. Guy who fell, the guy who fell asleep at the Sixers game, blame him too. Hey, if if the um, <laughs> if the stock keeps going down, how should I monitor it? And at what price can I become Angelo Cataldi's boss or, re- or really Kevin Kincaid's boss if I buy Odyssey? <laughs> well, um you might, you know, I hey, I can't give advice on that. I, I guess <laughs> Kyle Scott just came into a lot of money if we want to see if we can buy Odyssey or not. And Wait, what does it mean, Jeff? What does it mean if, if say, for example, they do get delisted? I mean, what does what does that mean for our company? It's not good. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, they, yeah, I say this to somebody who knows jack, jack shit about any of any of that. I can say what these are, but in like the business terms, I don't know what that means for 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 them. You know, they can you know uh, try and get on another. Uh, you know, there's the what they call the pink sheets, which are um, there's the New York Stock Exchange, and then there's the Nasdaq, and then there's one that's sort of like in almost in more like independent. Are uh, we talking like Wolf of Wall Street, like pink sheets, penny stocks kind of stuff? Yeah, you'll see like you know what ticker symbols are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ticker symbols like I'll say OTC, and then colon, and then I'll have the name of the stock. That's no, like. Okay. Pink sheets, which are just- so can can they just kind of like you know obviously W fan WIP they're they're strong right now. I'm sure they have other sports stations that are strong. Can't they just like just drop all the all the crappy country stations or all the crappy music stations, get the stock back up, and you know maybe 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 you kind of you know put your pride aside and not be the top three four biggest 
radio station and you become like maybe five and but your stock is performing and you're making money i, I don't know well you can cut costs um certainly they had the layoffs you, kevin you know we're just talking about it and um, back in 2020 they had a bunch what they did with the, the music stations kyle was um they uh got rid of um you know the overnight hosts they got rid of um a lot of times they're and not syndicating but They'll have some guy um, who will be in for a top 40 station or like uh, who will be broadcasting for in like three different markets. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like someone would be uh, the Philadelphia midday pers- person, but he's in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, something it's like, like when that. Seacrest does a top 40 on Sundays or, yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm surprised they haven't done that with the sports. And then, you know, well, the, 1210 does it already. Obviously they syndicate. Was it Sean Hannity? And that's the conservative. Yeah. And 1210 only has one, you know, like local Philadelphia host anymore. You know, Rich Dioli's doing mornings. I mean, they had Stigall there. He, uh, Chris took off, I guess, a couple years ago. But or I'm sorry, Dom is Dom Giordano, I believe, is still. Yeah. Don't they yeah. have an afternoon? I thought they had an afternoon. In the, I, I maybe they maybe they they could have re-added it. But yeah, I mean, for a time there, there wasn't, you know, they weren't even carrying all three major day parts, right? You know, they were going syndication that's kind of a different medium too entirely where right. I think syndication works with conservative talk radio as well. Like you would never to think of like doing that in sports is crazy. But I think the thing I would reiterate to people and um, this is what my wife would tell me all the time. Is like WIP bills very well. WFAN does very well too. So people always ask like, well, what does it mean for WIP or WFAN? Not, not a lot really. I mean, those are, those are our classic legacy stations that have large audiences and are always going to do very well. But I think, you know, without me editorializing too much, I think sometimes you just, they have a lot of properties, you know, they've got like more than 225 radio stations that they run in addition to all the, yeah. the podcasting and things like that. And, you know, you look up one day and like, Hey, you got a lot of, a lot of expenses. I think, I think, yeah, but you could, um, that being said, you could with Angelo stepping down, you know, Angelo makes a good chunk of change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Probably, well, he makes a good chunk of change. Um, and um, uh, no one else at that station, none of the other hosts come close. Yeah. So if you replace Angelo with someone, uh, maybe one of the hosts, existing hosts or someone else, you're probably not going to be paying. You're going to be saving some money there. And that's going to be part of the objective. I mean, the what is it, the best show ever? Yeah. Those mm-hmm. guys are probably not getting as much as Mike. You know, no, and you know what the bigger story is there too, Jeff, is like those big those big contracts don't even exist anymore. No, I don't you know, think so. you're your Angelos, your Howard Eskins back in the day, your Mike Missinelli's of five to ten years ago. Like the idea of like these guys being these huge Howard Stern, like guys at a local level and making seven figures or close to it, like that's just not a not a thing anymore. No, and and when when WAP started, you know, they had um in their early nineties with the all sports format. They started with, they had um, Tom Brookshire, who was a big name. They probably had to pay him. They had Bill Campbell, who was a legend. Uh, Kyle's like, who the hell's Bill Campbell? But Bill Campbell was a, you know, a, a legend um, uh, caster in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, called Eagles and Sixers and Phillies games. Yeah. Um, and um, they had him, and then they had Howard. Um, and then they started to bring in the TV, the, uh, the, the Raid the Inquirer. They brought in Angelo and Al and Glenn and Glenn. Mike and uh, Anthony Gargano. Um, now it seems like people are coming up. It's like uh, 
they're, they're radio lifers. They're starting in radio yeah. as young people. Yeah. And it's a little bit, the pay scale is a little bit different. And it, yeah, that's part of it too, keeping, keeping those guys internal and knowing that they start out as like part-time interns and then, you know, or interns as part-time producers and then full-time producers and then going straight to a host. Yeah, you cultivate all this stuff, you know, straight in-house. I mean, you save costs on that for sure. I mean, we've had the whole separate discussion on this show multiple times of like, hey, is that a viable path? You know, like, do you have credibility if you've never really been in a locker room or you've never done a, you know, a beat or whatever? And we've talked about that ad nausea. But yeah, from from a business perspective at the same time too, you've cultivated these guys in-house. You can control their salary and the money that they're making from from start to finish, you know? So that's that's an underrated thing as well. Um, did you have one? Did you have something else? I have one question I'm yeah. really interested in because I know in Kevin's article – uh, 25 to 54 demo is controlled by WIP. 18 to 34 is controlled more by the fanatic in terms of, I think, where they're beating him. Is that, did I get, did I quote that yeah, right? Fanatic typically, right. So, for some background here, like for advertisers uh, and for sellers in the in sales departments, like the key demo that you try to sell and you base everything on is men 25 to 54. So, like when you set your rates, mm-hmm. um, and you is it because they have like, purchasing power. Well, yeah, I mean, and they're the they're the people who are yeah, those are the people who are most important. Those are the most valuable uh, p- possible customers, right? So, eighteen to thirty four is not going to have as much disposable income. Like, if you're advertising for hot tubs, your forty five year old is probably more likely to buy a spring dance hot tub than a twenty uh, five year old kid who's still paying his student loan debt that may or may not be forgiven by Biden, right? So. Uh, so when you look at, but when you look at it, when you get the Nielsen ratings in, mm-hmm. it's a whole crazy, I mean, it looks like hieroglyphics if you don't know what you're looking at, but they have different categories for everything. They got people, you know, all people who are part of the program. They have 25 to 54, they have 18 to 34, they have whatever. But yes, from what I've understood, Fanatic does slightly better in the, in the younger demo, which is less important to the sales department. So if that's the case and Fanatic has, let's say the future, this is me just looking at it from a broad scope, not knowing, understanding anything. Um, you would say that 97.5 Fanatic is better set up for success in the future because I would say WIP probably doesn't have many people that listen to it under 40. Not as much as, like, who would you think is better set up for the future is really what I'm asking. WIP or Fanatic? Either of you can jump in. No, I mean, well, it's hard to say because I don't, I, you you throw in the corollary too of like, what is ra- what does radio even look like five years from now? You know, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, you could say that like, yes, maybe Fanatic is resonating a little bit more with younger people. They do the YouTube stream. They've also got the simulcast with NBC Sports Philadelphia. So they have different avenues, you know, under which for which people are watching their their programming. But um, I know it's always been like when I talk to people behind the scenes, they say, OK, well, we feel like we're doing a little bit better with the younger crowd. Maybe we can turn that into something. You know, WIP really doesn't have to do much of anything because um, they've held consistent with that demo for a long time so uh, you know i think they're kind of operating from a point of like if it ain't broke don't fix it and the fanatic says maybe there's something for us to target here at some point in the future maybe you build that audience now and then they they age into the 25 to 54 demo you know that's exactly it if you get when you get uh first of all they're going to be replacing angelo i mean i don't have an opinion about this one way or the other but they're going to be replacing angelo and unless they you know hire someone another 70 year old um, which, which I they might do, you know. Um, Word on the street, it might be Jaws. Yeah, well, yeah, who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that. Unless they do that, I, I you know, I think they're going to hire someone, you know, younger, someone in their their thirties or forties. Yeah. Um, who, who's younger, cheaper, more pliable, 
and um, maybe you can appeal to that audience that you're talking about, Kyle. Jeff, let me, um, before we wrap up the conversation, I do want to ask you about the local newspaper scene. And there's a lot of different topics, a lot of different ways we can go. Obviously, I've done a lot of reporting on the Inquirer. I won't ask you to comment on that specifically unless you want to, but they're going through a, a, a change. You know, they're going digital. They have a gambling person now. They're going to embrace sports betting just like everybody else has. Mm-hmm. You know, in the suburbs, my hometown newspaper, the Pottstown Mercury, looks like a, a husk of what it used to be. You've got Evan Brandt running around doing like every single town hall meeting that he can get to, you know, but it's just, you've got, and then you've got these companies like Alden Capital coming in and there's been just been so many cuts in the suburbs, changes in in Philly at the flagship, you know, what we would call the flagship newspaper, I guess. I mean, when you think about newspaper in general in this region, where does, uh, where does your mind go to first? Well, you mentioned, you you mentioned uh, uh, Evan Brandt, um, the Potsdam Mercury, which is owned by Alden Global Capital, and they own. There's two two newspaper companies that own. Um, they're the two largest. Uh, one is is uh, um, I guess they call themselves a Media News Group, and they own the Westchester Paper, Delaware yeah. County Times, uh, Norristown Times Herald, um, Pottstown Mercury, Lansdale Reporter, where you're living now, Kevin, yeah. and and, yeah. and they own a, a whole bunch and. Um, and then you have Gannett, um, which just answered laying off 400 people, including some local sports people. Um, and um, they own the Bucks County Courier Times and uh, the Intelligencer and then uh, the uh, Courier Post in, in, in Cherry Hill yeah. and the Wil- uh, Wilmington News Journal. And these they're all just gutting the newsrooms. But what's different, Evan Brandt was just on 60 Minutes um, because – um, they, they, what, what Alden Global Capital is doing is just getting into the newsrooms altogether. Yeah. Um, I started at a, I started at the Westchester Daily Local, um, in the nineties and, you know, th- there is a way when you're younger and uh, it's have that newsroom, have that feel of being in a newsroom, um, and they don't have it. Um, it's, they have, whereas they've gone from like 15 people in a newsroom to having one or two people yeah. and, um, they don't have a newsroom. Every, everything's. I mean, it works for you guys, for example, but when you have a larger newsroom, I think it can be an issue unless you're meeting um, pretty regular basis. Um, yeah, they have. I mean, they've got this whole network, too, like, uh, you know, where my parents will be. They still buy the Mercury because they're loyal to their their paper that they grew up reading, you know, and it's like uh, – you know, you read like Matthew George, for example, who does union stuff, who I've known for forever. You know, his stuff is syndicated now along that entire network, right? So you get so for these multiple newspapers, you get like the one AP post or the one like, you know, mm-hmm. local guy post that's, that's spread out all throughout. So, you know, and Alden, I think, had the Reading Eagle, right? And they like got the Reading Eagle more, more, yeah. more, more uh, the same as the other ones. So I don't know. It's just I, I, yeah, like, look, man, I, I think it's as disappointing as anything. But at the same time, like we got to understand the realities and the challenges of the business, you know, is that. Everybody's yeah. trying to go digital. It's been it's been that way for some time, I guess. Yeah, they're struggling. I think general circulation newspapers are struggling to find a business model that it's workable. Um, and um, you have to. It, there's still, you know, the the Inquirer's tried something creative here with the Lenfest, you know, money being put into that. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, they're they're trying, um, and I give them credit for being really creative. They still have a lot of great journalists there. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens. But what's happening in the suburbs is really, um, you know, uh, a lot of cuts there. And, yeah. and the big thing is I've seen is that the suburbs are not getting the coverage that they used to get 
at all. Um, high school sports or any of that stuff. Yeah. Does the news go more video or does the news go more audio? Do you think further wise? I think this would help a lot with the suburban papers and stuff where someone can break down a game against Lansdale Catholic versus North Penn in 15 minutes or break down the Friday night football scores or the Saturday night baseball scores. Um, do you think, you know, that's kind of an easier way maybe to, you know, someone has to obviously do it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but there is kind of an opportunity, I think, for kind of an independent journalist to kind of start their own suburban newspaper in a way. Well, it's or just podcast, like, I guess. I think, you know, like Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank would say, how do I make money off of that? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, that's the thing. I mean, you've seen the, all these patches, you know, the patch papers, and there's a guy in Bucks mm-hmm. County, Tom Sofeld, who is covering Bucks County with like hyper local, only mm-hmm. online. I haven't thought of the audio. That's interesting, though. Yeah, yeah I, I think there would be a thing there where you could sell some advertising to maybe Gary Barbera, and maybe, uh, and maybe John Ashby. All the cars are when he comes back around, starts spending money again. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, you could sell advertising, or even if you want to put it on a Patreon and stuff. Because I know when we were growing up, getting interviewed by the Lansdale Reporter was like so cool, like after games and stuff. Like even though it was yeah. like a two two questions, <laughs> a convoluted uh, answer that yeah. I didn't understand what I was saying and whatnot. It was still There's awesome to get vacuum. interviewed by. Him. There's going to be a yeah. vacuum that needs to be filled. It's just how do you sell it? Yeah, right. exactly. And I think you could sell it. You could sell it through a Patreon. You could sell it through uh, advertising right. and whatnot. I think there would be, be an appetite for it there, but it would have to be a lot of like independent. I'm thinking like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Night Watcher kind of like stuff, like going down there and like getting your own video, getting your own audio, chasing yeah. sources where it's just like a you, you'd need like an investor, I guess, kind of in a way. But yeah, there's man, definitely welcome, an opportunity. Yeah. Welcome to journalism in 2020. Yeah, I know, right? So, yeah. So, no, I mean, uh, what, what, what other revenue streams do you think maybe newspapers might have before we get you out of here? I mean, sports betting, like, like, uh, like, like Kevin mentioned, but that's kind of a, I don't know, that's kind of a convoluted Some area. Some people were hesitant, like, I guess, Jeff, right, to get into sports betting initially, maybe because they <laughs> felt like it wasn't, you know, it was like a vice, perhaps, you know, maybe like, hey, we're going to take cigarette and alcohol money. We're going to take sports gambling money. Now, have you seen like a change in how people approach that? You know, it's interesting. I just wrote about um, a cover story on um, Sean Foreman of Sports Reference, um, which is obviously the you know, baseball reference, football reference, basketball reference, hockey reference. Um, I, I love writing about entrepreneurism and sports media and media in general. And obviously, Sean's the ultimate. He started it in 2000. He was a professor at San Joe's and had an offer to buy the company. ESPN wanted to buy them in 2008. He turned it down. He stayed independent. He's working out of a church in Mount Airy. Is he still working on that church? Yeah, he's still in that church. Awesome. And he, he, they, they don't take advertising from the sports betting. Um, and they just feel like they couldn't live up to what the sports betting companies would want. Um, they wouldn't want to go full throttle like that. So he talked about it. Um, so there's some people that just still have that feeling about it, but you know, it's, 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 it's I, I think that is the next wave though. The, the wave right now is sports betting, sports betting, sports betting, get parlays in front of people, get odds in front of people. Get, and then, you know, we're going to, someone's, you know, going to write these stories about how this guy, you know, had to foreclose on his house because he just put a bunch of hundred du- different parlays in one night. And the next, and the next wave of it is going to be, 
you know, bankroll management and mm-hmm. and responsible gaming and whatnot, because it's just like when alcohol and cigarettes came out. I mean, people were smoking cigarettes at doctor's offices until they're like, well, this actually gives you cancer and gives the person next to I you. Mean, there's cancer been patterns. Too. There's been patterns yeah. of all this before. You know, it's it's cyclical in that way. But, uh, you know, definitely never, never a dull moment in, in yeah. local media. So. Jeff, thanks, man. We appreciate the time. Uh, Jeff Blumenthal, Philadelphia Business Journal. Uh, keep an eye out for his stuff. If there's anything good, we always try to amplify it and share it if possible. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm we happy. appreciate it. Uh, Kevin, I'm happy to be the uh, the uh, warm-up act for uh, Joe Cordell. Uh, oh, no. I, yes, and we have a very <laughs> special guest coming. That's a perfect segue, actually. Uh, Joe, Cordell, <laughs> Joe Cordell of Cordell and Cordell will be on the show Thursday. It's a, I'll tell you a story when we do that on Thursday, but it took me five years to get that book. Five years. Like I'm, I'm the opening act for the Stones. You know, it's great. No, it's great, man. I appreciate you taking this this attitude with it. You know, I, I appreciate that because other people would have looked at it differently. Now it was like my white whale. It was like the Moby Dick for me to get Joe Cordell of Cordell and Cordell on the show. So we're very much looking forward to it. But thank you for your time, man. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, that is crossing broadcast for today. Like I said, please uh, hit the thumbs up below uh, subscribe to the podcast subscribe to the youtube channel we'll talk to you on thursday with joe cordell cordell of cordell <laughs> i just i just fucked that up <laughs> see you